Good morning. You've most likely uh, have heard that I'm going to be heading to uh, Mayo Clinic this um, this week. They found a um, an abnormal area on my pancreas, and so the reason that I'm going there, a GP said that with something like this, it it might be nothing. It, there's not a lot of symptoms associated with it. There's enough concern though that I need to get it checked out, and so in in order to be able to tack down. Um, what it is, they have to be able to identify clearly, have to find out what it is, what I'm dealing with. And so if there's an accurate diagnosis, then the treatment can be effective. And so uh, that will be our hope. And by the way, it's the reason why probably in order to be able to get there as COVID free as possible, I probably won't be visiting with a lot of you after the service. I'll probably just sneak away. And so I'd, I'd like to read, hopefully next week, we'll have some good news. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is um, in any when you're dealing with anything, any kind of problem, physical problem, you want to go to a place where they can diagnose it clearly. And the clearer the diagnosis is, the better able you are to deal with the problem. That's true in a physical sense. It's also true spiritually. When we think about what our spiritual problems are, it helps us to be crystal clear about exactly the nature of our problems. Now, they say that there are some really good diagnosticians at Mayo Clinic. That's the reason why I'm going to go there. If we want to listen to somebody who is a good spiritual diagnostician, I don't think there's anyone better than Paul. He was commissioned to give individuals like you and I clarity about what it is we deal with. And in Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through chapter 8, verse 4, uh, Paul opens our mind to the war within. Um, when I go to Mayo Clinic this week, I'll probably take some notes. I'll listen very carefully. Marsh and I will talk about it. What I'm going to encourage you to do, we're going to take 10 weeks to go through Romans 7.1 through 8.4. What I'm going to ask you to do, um, this is seemingly really important stuff if we want to be clear about what we're dealing with spiritually. So what I would encourage you to do, if it's possible, if you're here or if not, join us virtually, tune in for the next 10 weeks. What we're going to find week by week by week will get a clearer sense of what this war within is about. And as we understand the problem, we can deal with it more effectively. And so um, that's what I'll encourage us to do. Let's see what Paul says. He says in Romans chapter 7 this morning, we're going to go through verses 1 through 4. That's what it says. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he or it lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage, literally the law of the husband. Paul uses marriage to help us understand something that's harder to see. We understand marriage. We understand how marriage works. And Paul is going to use marriage to help us understand something about our spiritual issues inside. He uses Jewish marital laws to help us understand spiritual freedom. 
It says, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. This is not really dealing with divorce. Now, Paul uses that, but that's not his point. The point here is not to talk about, should I be divorced, should I not? That's not the issue. The issue is using the idea of marriage to help us understand what it is we deal with relative to war within. Um, In Roman law, both the husband and the wife had the right to file for divorce. But in Jewish law, that wasn't the case. Only the husband had the ability to file for the divorce. The wife had no authority whatsoever. Um, I'm going to have, I'm going to pick on Randy and Lisa. Come on up. There we go. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Come on up. And so Randy's getting on that side. Lisa, you get in the middle. Okay. Come over. Come on. You're married, by the way. Let me see. Okay. Okay. So. Um, so in the way it is with Jewish, I'm going to have you take your hand and put it on your shoulder. Oh, excuse me. So see, that's from Lisa did that. No, no. In Jewish law, the woman is under the authority of the husband, the law of the husband. Now, um, in, in the Jewish law, now, if Randy had issues with Lisa, then he would be able to file for divorce. But if Lisa had issues with Randy, you have no authority. You are under the law of the authority of the husband. Um, and what that means, it's not against the law for Randy to insist that Lisa do something. It is against the law for Lisa to resist that. So she is in a situation here. Um, how can she be free? Look what it says. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of the marriage. So here's how this works. So I'm not sure how we're going to kill you, Randy, but we're going to kill you. Okay, so let's let Randy just fall down. You're dead. Okay, so now because when Randy dies, that's how Lisa is free from being under the law of the husband, uh, the only way she can escape. Um, and what it says, accordingly, she accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Randy, come back over and marry Lisa again. Okay, and and let's say for some unfathomable reason, Lisa decides that she is going to turn Randy in for me. Okay, so so she's going to marry me. So here's the deal. No, you stay connected with her because Randy's not dead yet. And if then Lisa, Randy being still alive, decides to try to divorce him and I then marry Lisa. Now, this is a problem because now she's an adulteress because she's under two laws. She's under the law of the first husband, under the law of the second husband. This is idolatry. This can't happen. And Paul is using this image uh, to help us understand what Jesus did at the cross. Thanks, you guys. In verse 4, here's what Paul says. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, 
in order that we might bear fruit for God. It says, likewise, brothers, you also. Now it's talking about us now. It's not talking about physical marriage now. It's talking about us as individuals before God. And it says, when we die to the law through the body of Christ, what that allows us to do, it allows us to belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. What does this mean? What it's saying, it's answering a question. And here's what I want us to be clear about this morning. Why did Jesus die? How would you answer that question? I'm not going to ask you for a lot of things we might say certainly for sins and to save us. And what we're going to find, there's something Paul points out in Romans 7, 1 through 4, that it, it gives us a different take on what happens. What it indicates is that Jesus died, and I actually put a fill in the blank there, to terminate our relationship with the Old Covenant to terminate our relationship with the Old Covenant. It says, likewise, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. That answers the question of why Jesus died. So like when Randy and Lisa were up here, let Randy represent the Old Covenant. Um, Lisa can't be out from under that covenant until a death occurs. And Jesus came to die so that Lisa could be free from Randy if, and Lisa representing us. She could be free from the authority of the old covenant and be free to marry another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. This answers a question for us. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died to terminate our relationship with the Old Covenant. We'll talk next week a little bit more about why that's necessary, but that's what Paul is going to say in Romans 7, 1 through 8, 4. This is what Jesus died to bring us out from under law because under the authority of the Old Covenant, we can't bear fruit for God. There's, there's too many conditions. There's too much fear. There's too much anxiety. Another reason... An, it, likewise, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, so that we can bear fruit for God. Why did Jesus die? Jesus died to initiate our relationship to the new covenant. And, and he, Jesus died so that we could come out from under the initial covenant and become initiated into a second covenant. Over the next nine weeks, Paul will help us understand why this was necessary. One thing we're going to see is that it's not possible to be under both the new and old covenant at the same time. Remember when Randy and Lisa were up here? And for Lisa to be under the authority of the law of husband with Randy and under the authority of me. That's, that's polygamy. And the same thing exists spiritually. We cannot be under the authority of the old covenant and the authority of the new covenant at the same time. It's two competing, contrasting laws. If we are under the authority of the new covenant, we are not under the authority of the old if we're under the authority of the old covenant, we are not under the authority of the new. Jesus came to bring us out from underneath the authority of the old covenant and bring us under the authority of the new covenant. Um, we've broken it down this way. Um, we're awfully wedded. Under the authority of the old covenant, here's what 
some of the, the vows were, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. Um, that's part of the vows that come under the first covenant. That doesn't seem all that bad. But there's another one that follows right on its heels. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And the old covenant, it says, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. And the legacy of those who are under the authority of this covenant is that it didn't lead to good things. The Israelites in the Old Testament were under the weight of this. And if you're under the weight of a conditional covenant where you'll be blessed if you obey and cursed if you disobey, it doesn't work out that well. It's like being married to someone who says, if you obey me, I will be nice to you. And if you disobey me, I will punish you. What kind of marriage would that be? Living in the insecurity. I wonder what he'll be like when he gets home. I wonder if he'll be happy. I wonder if he'll be sad. Would you agree if you lived in a home like that, it would be very difficult to thrive? It would be very difficult to be secure? It would be very difficult to love somebody you're afraid of, wouldn't it be? That's what we find with the Old Covenant. It, it's, that's what Jesus came to do so that we could come out from under this kind of covenant, these kind of vows, and that we could become happily married, go from awfully wedded to happily married. And what are, we've seen these before, the new covenant um, vows. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Um, what we find here, these are the vows that God makes in the new covenant, and this is why Jesus came, so that the initial first conditional ones could be replaced by unconditional promises, where he says, I will put my law on your mind and write it on your heart. He says, I will be your God and you will be my child. I will cause you to know me and I will forgive be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. We can see it this way. I will write my law in your heart. I will be your God and you will be my child. I will forgive be Helios to your wickedness and will remember your sins no more. These represent the promises that God makes to us. And what it seems then in the Old Testament, it was necessary for um, parents and priests to put the law on the heart of the child. They had to make the child learn the law. And what happens with the New Testament, something different happens. God assumes responsibility to put the law in our heart. He assumes responsibility to allow us to know him. He assumes responsibility to forgive us. And it seems that if God assumes responsibility for that, he absolves us of that responsibility. But the new covenant says, God says, I will do in you what you cannot do for yourself.
I will allow you, I will cause you to become responsive to me. I will allow you to know me, and I will be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. And the question then is, what he wants us to do, Jesus wants us to understand, he died so that we would come out from under the first and come underneath these ones. These are his vows. How does this happen? He says, you died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. The only way to go from being awfully wedded to happily married is to be lawfully wedded. Again, you remember when Lisa was here, a death has to occur. We can't come out from under the authority of the old covenant because we want to. The only way is for a death to occur, and that's why Jesus came, so that his death would allow us to move from one covenant to another. There's a story I've told before about a um, a woman who was married to a husband who was very demanding. And he made her do, in fact, he wrote a list of things that he, he, he said that if you do these things, then I'll love you and be nice to you. If you don't do these things, there's going to be problems. And then she, in the course of her marriage, she tried the best she could do to do the things, but it was burdensome to her. And she doesn't, not a real good system, but she's not one that she could break free from. What ended up happening is the, the husband died. And she, after a period of being single, she married somebody else. Um, this person was very different. He loved her. He didn't put conditions on his love for her. He didn't say, if you do this, I'll love you. And if you don't, I won't. He basically just they had a good relationship. And what ended up happening, she was going through her dresser drawers, um, and she, she touched a piece of paper and took it out, and it was the list. What ended up happening to her? She felt kind of an initial sense of, because of what this list represented. And then she thought about the nature of her relationship back then and how different the relationship had become. She was no longer afraid that if she didn't do everything, that she would be abandoned. Then she ended up looking closely at the piece of paper. And she looked at the ten things, and what she found? She was doing each one of those things and more. But the reason she was doing them made all the difference. It wasn't to try to keep him from leaving. She was secure in the relationship, and that's why she um, was able to do the things. That's what the Bible leads us to know. It says, there is no fear in love in First John 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with judgment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What God requires of us is that we would love ourselves and one another. And what he tells us is that it is not possible to leverage love by creating the fear of judgment. God cannot dangle the fear of judgment over our heads and that allow us to move towards love. It's just not the way it works. And that's why Jesus came, so that perfect love could drive out fear. I love those five words. A lot of things that make us afraid. I've done this with people before. Say, um, think about your fear. 
insecurity you have about what's going to happen in the next weeks or the next months or the next years. A lot of reasons to be afraid, aren't there? To feel insecure. I'm not sure if I'm going to be taken care of. I'm not sure if I'm going to land in a good place. I'm not sure what's going to happen. There's a lot of really testy things. And, and so we become afraid. And, and how do you deal with fear? It's hard to deal with fear, isn't it? We try to make it go away. Well, I'm sure that everything will be fine, but everything might not be fine. And that's the problem. Things, bad things happen. Hard things happen. Blank, blank drives out fear. If you didn't know what those verses said, what in the world has the power to drive out fear? Blank, blank drives out fear. There's only two words that fit that, and they come from perfect love drives out fear. The old covenant doesn't reflect perfect love. It's conditional love. And what God wants us to understand is that's not the way he relates to us. And what we'll do over the next weeks, we'll find that. And again, this is not new news to us, but what Paul is going to say, understanding this is critical. We have to really know two things. We have to have a good yes. When you hear things that reflect the new covenant, that God's love for us is unconditional, when you hear things like that, say yes to them. You know what I'm going to say? When you hear other things that reflect those who believe we're under the old, that's the point. You need a, not just a good yes, but a good a good, a good no. And we hear things that reflect something because what God is going to, what Paul is going to let us know, to the degree, and we should listen to me, to the degree we're clear that in order to allow us to bear fruit for himself, God takes us out from under the old covenant. That is step one. Understanding that is foundational to being a Christian. Foundational. We can't be the people God wants us to be if we believe that God is going to bless my obedience and curse my disobedience. That died when Jesus died. And what Paul's going to do, he's going to make this case, and he's going to make it again and again and again. And so hopefully by the time the 10 weeks are out, we will be even clearer than we are now about what to say yes to, and what to say no to. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for um, Paul and the fact that he experienced things and he writes in such a way that, that he, he communicates things to us that we need to understand. Some of this stuff is, is confusing, Jewish marital laws, but he, he uses marriage to point out some things that we do need to know. That, uh, that, you came, Jesus, to die to terminate our relationship to the old covenant. That's not a covenant that allows us to learn to love. And you came to initiate our relationship with the new covenant. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. And as he walks through the verses, he'll give us lots of reasons and lots of ways to apply that. I pray that we would be able to sit at his feet and learn in Jesus' name. Amen.